Blog Talk Radio. All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, You guys want to start the show? Let's start the show. Sound off, Marky. Hey, hey, everybody. And special guest, uh, Jimmy Lazinski, uh, contractor with uh, BleedingCool.com, Mega Empire, um, and all-around hell of a guy and Batman fan. Jimmy, how you doing? I'm fabulous. This is the sound of my voice. That's it. And that, uh, let's see, yep, that scans. <laughs> We're really getting... Uh animated in this intro oh look at that yeah. you couldn't help yourself <laughs> yep that's right uh why why are we saying the word animated why do we have a batman expert amongst our ranks Ooh. because we're talking are you, what a that's great detective work mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Just, uh, yeah. we've already said batman i don't okay. think we need to <laughs> but that's, okay so we're talking about batman the animated series right that's right okay that's well, right but right if you're uh short on time you okay. can just say bataz uh, the animated series recently re-released on Blu-ray. That's right. I'm actually holding a copy of the collector's edition right now. Yeah. You, could say, you know, if they hadn't put out this uh, 25th uh, anniversary Blu-ray, we probably wouldn't be sitting here today. I know because uh, both Jimmy and I actually had a chance to uh, roundtable with uh, many of the voices, uh, producers, uh, writers mm-hmm. of this, what turned out to be just a groundbreaking series. Um, and, just real quick, has it been 25 years, really? I think it's been 27, 92. First air, September of 92 was the first air date. That is Ooh, jeez. I mean, it's just nuts. I mean, that's um, 27 years ago, and the show is, I mean, it's not on the air. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it was syndicated on the air somewhere. It's probably, yeah. it's probably somewhere. I know uh, it's on DC Access at, yeah. uh, in addition to the Blu-ray set. Yeah. Uh, this particular Blu-ray set does come with the digital download. So those of you out there that love to travel like I do, I actually hate it. But uh, for a lot of you guys, man, does this, these things just go by. You know, if you're on a plane from San Diego to Chicago, you, you, knock you, can't, out, you can't do better than that's Pataz. Like 15, <laughs> 15 episodes of sure. Pataz. <laughs> they gotta be, I, I don't know if it says any of the paperwork you have there that Clocking in about 22 minutes, 25 minutes an episode, probably. That sounds about right. Yep. <clears throat> so it's so. easy to burn through. Good story, good writing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this was, and then this show came out, this was, uh, you say 92, so stuff like The Simpsons was out. There were cartoons for grown-ups already. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one, this wasn't a primetime cartoon. Right. This was, uh, I know it came out in the afternoons. Yeah, this was, was, a, younger, this was a, a after-school show. 
Yeah. Yeah. After school. Geared. Well, I see. I shouldn't say geared, but it was produced with a time slot that's designed for kids. Uh But what they did that no other cartoon at that time, at least in that time slot, in that realm of cartoons was doing, they made it dark enough and they made it cerebral enough, I guess, to not just get kids watching, but to also keep like, I would say, Marky, you and I are a very good demographic. We were, what, maybe end of middle school, beginning of high school, kind of shouldn't be watching cartoons anymore. But, boom, a new Batman one. Yeah, we were probably just now getting into high school is when this show first came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and this is, if you're talking about that 3 o'clock, you know, between 3 o'clock and 5, you know, 5 time yeah. slot, that's a really good time for college kids in their dorm rooms too. Yeah, you know, like like this is this is really just trying to uh, this is reclaiming the Batman franchise from the '60s and from the camp yeah. that that it that it uh, turned into. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, Batman had already kind of started a renaissance thanks to uh, Tim Burton's movie, Tim Burton's, yeah. and the uh, the efforts of. Uh, Oh, his name escapes me, but the producer who bought the rights and oh yeah, uh, yep, and the Frank Miller uh, comic as well, you know. The, yeah, Batman was maturing mm-hmm. there, but even beyond that, like <clears throat> you know, that ten years before that, I don't think there were a lot of uh, college kids watching Transformers and GI Joe at three in the afternoon. No, the way I was Correct. when I was you know in the second and third grade. And, uh, yeah, and I think they, that's what makes this one different. Yeah, yeah, they made a show that was to appeal not just to the kids who were, you know, in the second grade then, but the ones who still remembered fondly watching Transformers and G.I. Joe. And I would count myself among those ranks easily. And I think that's what that speaks to the heart of the show. All of you listening, I know you never grew up. <laughs> You're ashamed of yourselves. But we're in this together. And I think, you know, Bataz could shoulder a lot of the blame. Um, yeah, why not? You know, uh, why not put it on somebody? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think as, you know, as we like to say on this show, you know, we like to celebrate the themes of Saturday morning that, that not only we grew up with, but that grew up with With us. us. There's that tagline. uh, Oh, I knew it was coming. (laughs) That's what this, this show is the perfect example of a child theme that grew up. Yeah. And it it looks different than any cartoon you had ever seen up until that time. Um, it was uh, Jimmy was actually telling me something about how it kind of had this new velvet kind of animation style. Jimmy, oh yeah, uh, Eric Radomski was uh, partially or most and Bruce Tim uh, responsible for bringing. It was pretty revolutionary at the time to have the all the background art was done with pastels on a black background, similar to velvet paintings. Mm-hmm. So that made the nights, uh, the night scenes a lot darker and the colors pop, and they definitely uh, swung towards a more Art Deco style. So the uh, the setting the year of the year when the stories would take place are more evergreen. It's not really necessarily in 1940 or 1980 or 1992. Uh, you know, they use Tommy guns and there's blimps in the air so that that, that way the story can transcend generations and pe- more people can enjoy it longer. Yeah. yeah, they they took they took a chance on a lot of fronts. They mm-hmm. wanted to make this a very specific show, but they wanted a very broad audience for it, which is you know yeah. it obviously it worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spoiler and, alert: twenty seven uh, years later, 
we're still talking about it. Yeah, and uh, if you watch, if you go back and watch the the '87 Batman movie, the mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Tim Burton one, and the and A- and '89, uh, and his sequel. Um, you know, it can ninety one. Ninety one. It doesn't matter. The, the point is, is that they can they can exist in any time. You know, yeah. there could be a cell phone in it. There could be a Tommy gun in it. It could. It all just kind of exists. And uh, I really love that about that. Um, and I love that. You know, Velvet kind of came back in. I, I thought it was only on my walls in my house. No. Velvet can – it is a viable art form, you know. Yeah. And, and the uh, show took all these chances, uh, and and thank God it survived. It lasted. In fact, uh, Alan Burnett, when you were talking to him in the uh, in the roundtables. Oh, wait. We haven't even said that yet. Uh, we were at San Diego Comic-Con, right? And uh, Jimmy and I got to go to the roundtables, and, again, all these people were there. Um, it was a – if I may, a roundtable. They were – the. For the panel, they were celebrating the release of the Blu-ray that we're talking about, the mm-hmm. uh, BTAS 27-year uh, mm-hmm. anniversary. Uh, it's got, like you mentioned, all the all the episodes, uh, Mask of the Phantasm. What was the uh, sub, it Sub-Zero. Sub-Zero. It's a got a, a new documentary they made just for this, plus so we a whole were, bunch of artworks and right. scripts. It's, God, that thing is loaded. So we were, we were part of the big promotional engine that is uh, San Diego Comic-Con. and got to sit down at a roundtable and talk to these guys. And I think one of the first gentlemen we sat down with was uh, Adam, Alan Burnett, right? Yep, yeah. yep. Producer Alan Burnett. And, uh, yeah, he, of course, uh, you, uh, you, he and Mark E. Uh, waxed uh, – nostalgic about uh, watching cartoons in dorm rooms and not getting Nielsen ratings for him. Here, here's what he had to say about the success of the show. Meanwhile, So I'm Alan Burnett, producer, writer, um, and uh, I started on Batman uh, exactly 27 years ago this month, July 9th. Wow. Yeah. And uh, it was quite uh, it was it was quite great. So um, so any questions? Uh, <laughs> I was in college, so I that definitely puts me right back into that era. Like we're you know we're like in a dorm room and we're watching it. Ah, yeah. You know we couldn't get we couldn't get dorm room Nielsen's. We couldn't get college Nielsen's. We got everything else. And uh, the show was surprisingly I've said this before, but the show was surprisingly popular with two year olds. Because it was a quiet show, it was a colorful show, and uh, and <laughs> that was a big surprise of that show. But we could not get the, the pro- Nielsen's from from uh, from college, which I thought was a shame because I knew there was an audience out there. So you know, even he's surprised. Uh, yeah, um, and I am actually I'm not sure if I'm remembering that correctly because. Uh, I wasn't. I don't. I don't. I was not in college when it came out. So why did I remember that about being in dorm rooms? I, I assume you're a filthy liar. <laughs> well, maybe I did watch it in dorm rooms. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. Again, if you exist in a world without time or space, <laughs> where you never grow up, yeah. you're always in college. Yeah, you know? you're both a prohibition gangster and a twelve year old. <laughs> yeah, on my iPhone. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know if you can throw up a picture or if we're going to link to the video of these uh, conversations, but I just want to point out that Alan Burnett pointed mentioned that the ventriloquist is one of his favorite stories. And I can't help but notice that he looks exactly like uh, uh, 
the ventriloquist. He, uh, the character design has to be based on his physical. I've never noticed that. Side or and he, uh, well, would he have been the one who created the ventriloquist, or was that an existing? He was a, he, he was existing, but uh, he was an existing that just character makes it in the spookier. book. Yeah, but I, they I, I, to look at him and then see the character. Uh, there's no way they didn't base it on him. <laughs> his, his demeanor, the way he walked, the way he just sat there and talked to us. It's very similar. Yeah. Every single one of these guests, you know, that we had the chance to talk to. They all had such an energy about them. Um, it really seemed like everybody here who's all gone on to do, you know, have great, you know, careers and have done a lot of good things, all these guys, every single person that, that the, all the audio that you're going to hear today is all from top-notch people. They all seem to have this, this uh, they all gave us this feeling, this projection that it kind of all started with this, with this show. Yeah, you know this is this is what really brought it all out. And yeah, all these creative forces—they all got together, and um, I had a chance to. Well, they pushed a lot of boundaries. Right, they were trying new things. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, when uh, when you talk to Andrea Romano, mm -hmm. famed uh, casting director, casting about director, it, voice casting director, voice, yeah. she is seems so invested in the show. She's also, the well, this is what she had to say about what they were doing. Oh, please. Really, 27 years ago when we're sitting there going, let's make this Batman cartoon. And we thought we'd make something really good. We did. We wanted to make something that we wanted to watch, that we thought would be fun for ourselves. But who could have known that 27 years later, because we started two years before it released, that we'd be talking about this today. And it's, it's something that I'm so proud of. And what's amazing is it's still good. If you watch it now, it's still a good cartoon series. It's, and it evolved. It got better. We got better. The animation got better. The voice acting got better. My casting got better. Everything improved so that we all felt like we were growing and learning. And the thing we didn't ever want to do was repeat ourselves. It's just we didn't want to become stagnant. We wanted to always grow and and get a little bit darker if we could. And, you know, as, as time goes on, you're kind of allowed a little bit more. You push it. But we were talking before about it. We almost never showed blood. Bruce Tim had to get special dispensation to show, like, a drop of blood because blood was not shown in cartoons. It just wasn't done. And so we, we pushed as much as we could to get this to be not the cartoons that I watched when I was watching Hanna-Barbera's Huckleberry Hound, which I loved, adored, but we wanted to make a different cartoon, and so I'm very proud to have been a part of it. So and make a different show they did. Yeah, they really did. It's And, and like I said, they got lucky it worked, but, uh, you know, that's... She underscores that difference. They were making a new cartoon, and now you get that crossover, different generational appeal that we're all sucked into. Mm -hmm. Again, Bataz is to blame. Sure. <laughs> You're just hanging on to this Bataz. Well, <laughs> yeah. good for you. I'm making it work. I'm glad you embraced it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's really actually taken, in, it's taken us more time it. to explain it than if you just... Batman the Animated Series. Oh, I'm just, yeah, I okay. ran out of breath while you were saying that. <laughs> so, uh, Bataz is that show. It's the yeah. show that, you know, that we that we that we always waited for, mm -hmm. that we finally got, and 27 years later, we're still celebrating this thing. Um, I went and bought this thing. They didn't give me this thing. It's a hundred dollars or whatever. Yeah, and, and they uh, usually people are tripping over themselves to give you stuff. They love for the giving show, you stuff, but, but this no, one you still I, had to buy. Yeah, I actually wanted to actually own this thing. Um, uh, there, there, there always was something special about it, you know. Um, and I, 
I recently watched a couple of the episodes. I'll watch them all again, including both of the movies. Um, but I, I haven't seen them in so long that I forgot. Oh, I was reminded immediately of why I liked it so much. The very first thing you hear is that Batman theme song from the Tim Burton movie. Yep. I forget who. Uh, uh, Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman. Oh, Dan, yeah. Of, of Oingo Boingo oh. fame, if I'm not uh, is incorrect. It, is it? Is it really? Is it really? Yeah. yeah. He was the lead Shut singer up. of Oingo Boingo. That's yeah. Crazy. You didn't know that? You, you were, you're blowing my mind right now. Ooh, mind <laughs> mess. <laughs> but that's okay. So as soon as that, as soon as that sound comes over, and you see, it's it's like a, you get that whole Art Deco skyline thing, um, and. I'm picturing a bunch of like floodlights in the sky and it's looking for Batman and you see the bat symbol and then it's him kind of whooshing around and the Batmobile comes in and I'm like, this is a Batman movie. You know, like <laughs> this is, this is not a cartoon, you know, this is, it's not even a comic book anymore. Like this is a movie, you know, this is like real deal. And it just felt grown up, yeah, you know, like, certain amount of theatricality to it. Yeah. It, it's, it's a, this is a special show. Yeah. But uh, you know, you know, interestingly though, this came after what we were just talking about the uh, Tim Burton yeah. films uh, just after, I mean, it, the public came, was still in digesting in them. In between. It's nestled gently in between. Uh, nestled, resting in, <laughs> in the bosom. In, in what you might call the taint of the 89 <laughs> Batman movie and uh, 90. To uh, Batman Returns, yeah, which so it was, absolutely makes sense that they were, you know, uh, and that's that's why the Penguin and uh, Catwoman, or the uh, some of, the, well, Cat, I'm sorry, Catwoman Slater design, but the yeah. Penguin's design kind of mirrored that of the Returns, so they they could market the uh, toys at McDonald's. Oh. Uh, they were they were using those toys from the series to market the movie at McDonald's, so they needed to have was, a bit of a crossover there. Yeah, actually, uh, uh, producer Eric uh, Radomski mm -hmm. had a pretty interesting anecdote about it. He said the thing that scared him most was meeting with Tim Burton. This was how he described the meeting that they had with mega success in 1990, Tim Burton. This is good. It was interesting because they were, uh, it was on the, the heels of the movie coming out, and we, Bruce and I had already been in development for maybe a couple of months, and we were just kicking stuff around for what we wanted to do with it. This was after we were approved to do the, do the series, and then a flag came up, and both of us kind of were, you know, chills up our spine because it was, in a, in a bad way, because we were asked to show Tim Burton what we were planning to do, and it was like, oh, shit, <laughs> because as much as we admired what he had done in the film ours had had really gone clean. yes yeah the first film thank you um, but we had gone so specifically into a art deco influenced design and it was a little more polished we had to think about the longevity of 65 episodes and not just one film and even the portrayals in the movie as much as we liked the dark tone a lot of it was a little bit more exaggerated than we were intending so we had gone down the path and we were happy as clams until they brought that up, and then it was like, you know, like you would with any meeting with the executives, like, oh, shit, they're going to want us to change something, and we didn't want to change anything, because they kind of left us alone for quite a while, but uh, to our great surprise, Bruce had done a lineup of characters, we had some of the background work done already, we went into our meeting, and, uh, you know, it was obviously a, a great thrill to meet Tim for the first time, because it was the beginning of his, you know, huge success, and uh, couldn't have been more delighted to have him in sort 
sort of his his dreamlike persona just kind of looked at everything and goes, yeah, it looks pretty cool. And and that was all literally the sum total of the meeting was him just basically saying it looks great. It stood on its own, and it was such a huge relief. And I, I think for me personally, just a whole another level of respect for him because he really he believed in you know a portrayal that was unique to itself, and because maybe because he had some animation background, he could see the intention for where we were going and uh, probably the best thing out of that meeting uh, he had two drawings that we were able to get because he scribbled out his versions of uh, Penguin and uh, Catwoman for the next movie that was coming up so Bruce and I each took one. I still have mine. So that was the greatest thing. We got an original sketch from Tim Burton in the meeting, and it was like, not only did we get the series approved, the art direction, but we got a freebie from Tim, and it was like, hey, that's pretty cool. <laughs> not bad, so I'll have to dig that out of, out of my archives at some point. Wow, right? To have to deal with uh, coming up with these new designs for all the characters and get his approval, the, the, ma- the master at the time, if you will. Yeah, the uh, the and then it also sounds like maybe the master subtly told him, "All right, you better make your penguin and your Catwoman look enough like mine that <laughs> right, McDonald right, right, can right. sell some tumblers." <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and I actually, um, it's funny because my my wife just the other day was telling me to get rid of some of my cups, and some of them are from the McDonald's uh, Batman Returns giveaways. Ooh. So I, <laughs> as soon as you mugs, brought up, right? no, 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 they're like the like the uh, thirty-two ounce cups. Oh, okay, oh, yeah, okay. For, you know, for like the big drinks and stuff. So like, this whole thing is just it's just flooding out of me right now. Like I'm just like <laughs> projected back into that era. I remember when they were giving away the toys. I remember when all this is going on. Yeah. And it's funny how all this stuff and how much behind the scenes is going on just to make sure that McDonald's has something they can give away. Yeah. You know, it's. It's really something else. Well, um, McDonald's, McDonald's was a player, and Batman was a big game back well, then. Well, Taco Bell had the first, you know, the first movie was out of Taco Bell. The, they were there, they had four cups, and I remember us having to take, having to ride our bikes to the Taco Bell to get the four cups. And then it was a big hit, and then McDonald's got their greedy hands on it. Well, do you still have the Taco Bell cups? I don't know if I have those. The only, the only ones that I have right now here in San Diego, maybe back at my mom's, they're still there somewhere. The only ones that I have here are most of the McDonald's cups, and they're not even really used that much. They're just they've been stacked together for you know twenty five years. Well, then perhaps your <laughs> wife has a good point. She might, you know, yeah. you know, or or we just got to start drinking more soda. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but uh, this, you know, hearing uh, Eric talk about this, um, it actually got it. It actually got me thinking. You know. What if Tim Burton had done an animated version of the Batman? You know, uh, would it look like the animated series, or would it look more like uh, what's his Jack O'Lantern movie? Yeah, yeah, it would definitely I think look, it would like look more like Nightmare okay. Before Christmas. No, no question. Yeah. I mean, his, his <laughs> that character design spills across all of his movies and all of his work. That kind of skinny, dark-eyed. Yep. Oh, I would love to see his bride looking dude. Right, right, right. I would love to see his version of a Batman. I would like to see how that looks. I, I think we have a couple of times. <laughs> uh, a Tim Burton? Yeah. Maybe, maybe you mean animated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely you mean animated. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Exactly. There was those two yeah. movies. Yeah. No, no. I, I don't there mean There was that his, time in the 80s he made a Batman movie. I don't mean his, I don't mean his directed movies. Bit, yeah. I mean, I want to see how he would draw this because yeah, I think it would be awesome to actually own this thing. Yeah. Uh it's 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 there's some sketches 
of his like original sketches of the Michael Keaton costume mm. that looked pretty like much like uh, Edward Scissorhands. And oh, sure. <laughs> I could see that then. Okay, see? It, it's interesting yeah. to say the least. But uh, so obviously his is before the show comes out. His influence is large. Yeah, I remember as a kid when that movie came out, and it was a cultural crater. Jack Nicholson plays nothing the Joker. else. Like even I think Dick Tracy tried to compete against yeah. it or something at the time. Who's watching Dick Tracy anymore? Well, um, but I, I I remember that because in the original Tim Burton, uh, they had Prince doing the soundtrack, mm-hmm. right? So like this was they had Jack in there. You know, he was getting twenty million dollars or whatever to be in this thing. It's it's a serious actor being a being a comic book character. Yeah, this is this is serious stuff. And then they had Prince doing the the soundtrack. And yeah, you're right. Warren Beatty tried it with a Madonna soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't. I mean, I don't think it worked as well. No. Yeah. Well, uh, they they leaned a little too hard into the comic book aspect, I think, of it with the brighter colors and the more literal character designs on the screen, yeah. except for possibly uh, Warren Beatty, it was just kind of normal looking. They just yeah. they yeah. didn't. Everybody let the... else had a prosthetic mask. I actually, as it, I remember when it came out, I loved it. I loved Me the too. idea that they would do that. Yeah. Like a living, breathing cartoon. Sure, sure. But maybe it didn't grow up enough. You know, I think the actual Tim. What the Tim Burton movie did is it it kind of it kind of raised it, you know, it kind of it kind of it it raised it like it like it like it grew, <laughs> yeah, know? like you know, and he well, actually... it definitely just had a higher profile with mm-hmm. his success mm-hmm. as well. This this is one of the first instances that I can think of where a brand is taking. I, I, I mean, I'm sure it goes on a lot more often, say with McDonald's as an example, but a brand as far as Batman is addressing. Newer viewers and the older viewers, like they, there's that uh, the built-in uh, fan base that's going to come yeah. with any character, and then a lot of people will throw that away and just try to market to the new people. But this this is the first time that I remember it was made for both young and old, and definitely Batman fans because there's a lot of deep mm. a lot of deep cuts for if you know the Batman's uh, history, but still quite enjoyable if you don't. Yeah, yeah, it still made it accessible. As accessible as any Tim Burton movie is. Yeah. And the only thing that I didn't like about it is I like Batman wearing blue and gray. Yeah. And the animated series gave me a blue and gray Batman. Well, there you That's go. You finally, like yeah. So, they they yeah. finally took your feedback. I have a champion. Uh, they got your, yeah, they got your letters. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the only, like, you know, and it actually kind of makes sense, right? Because if you're, if you're making a comic book, I'm assuming black ink is really expensive. And if your characters are all wearing black, and then plus you just you just can't see anything, so you know well, yeah, it, it kind of makes sense. He would kind of being in the nighttime at at, at the time <laughs> when they could only use four colors, right? In 1939, yeah. when Batman came out, it would just be like a, if he was in the night, you know, it'd just be a black page, black, be yeah. black ink spot, yeah. and then Maybe two uh, eyes, and yeah. two eyes and a couple stars, I, I yeah. would think, and then Thanks. and in the animated series. Uh, Robin, he's still wearing his traditional red with the green, and the but the the cape is only yellow on the inside. The actual outside of the cape is black, right? Correct. Uh, yeah. That's a spillover. They just recently in the comic books had um, uh, Tim Drake had recently put on a similar costume mm-hmm. with the with the yellow on the inside and the black on the outside. This and that this is the first time a redesign of the Robin costume. He seemed a little 
more badass, a little yeah. cooler instead of running around in underwear. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've definitely made him a lot tougher and a lot cooler in years since, but this was the first time he was really kind of more badass on his own. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's just great to see it. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, it was, again, back to the Batman movie, mm-hmm. it was very big at the time, but it turns out not everybody knew everything about it. As a matter of fact, uh, Mr. Kevin Conroy, the voice mm-hmm. of Batman himself, said he knew nothing about the Michael Keaton version. He went in for the auditions. All he knew was the 60s Batman, and they had to build it back up. This is how he explains it. Meanwhile. You know, it's interesting. Luckily for me, I was not even aware of the Tim Burton um, Batman movie, which came out about, I think, I think maybe a year before we did ours. I had not seen it. Um, so I wasn't colored by it at all. The only input I had was the Adam West show from the 60s. And when I told Bruce Tim that at the audition, he said, no, 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 that's not what we're doing. He said, we love Adam, we love him, we love that show, but that's not what we're doing. And he brought me up to speed on the uh, the Legend of the Dark Knight, you know, the whole legacy of Batman. So Bruce kind of educated me on it. Um, and I think the fact that I was a clean slate and was just an actor approaching a role is the reason I got it. You know what I mean? Because they saw over 500 people for this role. They've been looking for months. But I think everyone was coming in with all this preconceived notions and anticipation and trying to do something. And I came in just and just winged it in the audition, um, putting myself as an actor in that situation. Um, so luckily, I had not seen the Michael Keaton movie yet. So I didn't have any of that Tim Burton input. After I saw it later, I thought, oh, this is kind of the world we're creating, that darkness. Um, ours is more noir, more gritty. Um, but it was a similar dark quality. So there you go. Sometimes a clean slate is the best thing to have. Yeah. Jimmy, you would have been horrible for this role because uh, you right. have too much influence. <laughs> that's, that's kind of the problem of being a Batman fan is your way down with uh, years of history and legacy. And, and I think every Batman fan goes in there with an expectation of what they think is the ultimate Batman. Yeah. And you ultimately will dis- be disappointed because it's not your individual vision. Yeah. Uh, I, I just wanted to say, I think it's really great how um, Kevin Conroy only knew of the 66 show, uh, Adam West Batman, which is my personal favorite as well. But uh, And that Bruce Timm had to teach him about the Batman that he is and that, that the Batman that he portrays and all about that history and, as I mentioned, the legacy. And now he didn't know anything. Now he is arguably the Batman uh, for a lot of people. Yeah, um, and, yeah I think that's right. Yeah, I, I just thought that's really cool how he came from literally no, no knowledge to now he's the guy. He's the Batman. Yeah, and um, yeah. I, I actually found it that... Uh, you, you, be careful what you ask for, because I remember when I was a kid and I watched the Tim Burton Batman. Uh, I remember thinking to myself, I kind of wanted it to be more comic bookish, right? Uh-huh. Now I loved the movie, and I saw that was probably the first movie I saw in the theaters multiple times. Uh-huh. You know, I, like, I we, we would hop on the bus and go to the mall and watch it. You know, we just we loved it. But I just remember kind of thinking to myself and. Oh, they should have, you know, he should have wore the blue and the gray. You know, it should have been more comic booky. 
and then of course the Schuster whatever the uh, Schumacher the, ones, the Schumacher yeah. ones came out and they were horrible, right? So us fans, when we take too much of this in with us, most of the time we're wrong and we don't know what the hell we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. you know, we're we're idiots in a lot we're of idiots. ways. As a yeah. fan watching the movies, it's a lot of concession. It's like, uh, oh well, yeah, I guess that makes uh-huh. sense that he would be having all black. Uh, costume. Yeah, I guess it would make sense that he would he would have body armor. And oh, you know that grappling gun that that is a nice addition. That does kind of that does get you out of situations. So it's it's a lot of. Oh, I would have never thought of that, but sometimes those things work and it sticks, and that's what they do. Some of these things stick and stay with the character, like the mm-hmm. grappling gun, and mm-hmm. uh, other things fade away, like the all black costume. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's just one of the many legacies of uh, Batman the animated series. I mean, yes, it's, yes. It's, it's go Bataz, go. <laughs> You're still with this Bataz. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, uh, I think we should probably take a little break here, but yes. before we do, uh, Jimmy, you got this opportunity. You got a mic in your face. Let me hear your Batman. Oh, I uh, come on. Let, let me at least hear your Bruce Wayne. <laughs> uh, too much pressure. Uh, let me see. My Bruce Wayne would have to be something along the line. I really like uh, the uh, calm reserve that uh, Adam West portrayed, and I, I got. I can't, I can't, I can't, you, know, you, were, you were trying not I, to do an Adam West impression, I was though. Trying, huh? yeah, well, definitely, still. but trying to creep into it. But uh, you know, with a little bit of prep, I I could nail it. But. Uh, under the under the pressure, I got nothing. It's uh, it's it's kind of easy if you say I'm Batman. I mean, it's, that's too. I think that's too obvious, and I don't. Okay, well, see, I'm and, glad and you didn't go for the low hanging fruit. I also think that again, as my Batman would never say I'm Batman. I'm standing there with this big cape and ears on my head and a big bat symbol on my chest. I don't feel that I would have to say, Hey, I'm Batman. Guess you know? who? <laughs> exactly. Uh, but you know, knock in knock. That, it's almost a manifesto when you see Michael Keaton on, you know, and they, I think they even put this like in the trailer yeah. when he holds him up. He oh, goes, the, I'm Batman. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. Yeah. It's yeah. telling the world, uh, you know, this is the Batman now. This mm-hmm. is it. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, this is it. This is the whole thing now. For the Adam West stuff, it was great. It was fun. Uh, but this is the voice of Batman. This is the look of Batman. And it makes sense that, you know, uh, Kevin. Uh, that he, this Kevin is, Conroy yeah, was. This is, this is what happened to him. This is why he was the perfect guy for the job because mm-hmm. he just, you know, he, he was willing to just kind of leave it all back um, and, you know, make it into something else. Yeah. Or or that's they made him do that. <laughs> yeah. He was the first uh, voice actor to use two separate voices for Batman and Bruce Wayne, Kevin Conroy. Yeah. Uh, other people, Alan uh, Soule and Adam West had played him. Uh, voice accident before, but they always use the same voice for both characters. I think I even asked them something about this at the roundtable. I'm sure you did, you oh, braggart. So uh, let's hear Kevin Conroy tell us about that, and then we're going to take a little bit of a break. You can go fill up your bowls, and we'll meet back here soon. I said to Bruce Tim, look, because again, I had no preconceived con- uh, images. Wait a minute. He's the richest guy in Gotham. He's the most handsome. He's the most eligible bachelor. He owns half the city. He puts on a mask and no one knows it's him. Seriously? Did I, is this a joke? I mean, couldn't we make it more convincing disguise? You know, let me try and use do a slightly different voice. Why don't we do it closer to my own voice? And then I had this image, wonderful movie. I love from the 40s called uh, The Scarlet Pimpernel that um, Leslie Howard did and he plays a Robin Hood character who 
is a member of the aristocracy. And he, by day, by night, he's um, Batman. He's avenging. He's, he's trying to... He's robbing him. But by day, to be in disguise, he's a fop in the court. A total fop. But it's all a performance. But no one takes him seriously. So he does that in order to be able to do what he's doing at night. I thought, wouldn't that be interesting as Batman to make Bruce Wayne more of a, a sarcastic, humorous... And then I started thinking of David Niven type quality. Um, and, and I put a lot of that into it. In the early episodes, there was a lot of sarcasm in Bruce Wayne. And then they kind of rode away from that because the show became darker and darker. Um, but, uh, but that idea for the dual personality thing was something I came up with just to justify the fact that no one knows it's him to make the disguise more convincing. again. Yeah, a little Elfman for that ass. Oh, isn't that great? It's the same sound of when the the, when the Batman admin, the, the Bataz comes on. Yes. <laughs> Bataz intro. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Is that not it? It's Bataz. You're <laughs> <laughs> killing me with the Bataz. You've been saying you're wrong. You know, no, no, no. I'm, I'm like in Bataz. I've got a, a little... Uh, you've got to come in on the one. No, it's a, it, it, I've got an apostrophe between the B and the T and everything. Oh, yeah. Jimmy's, French, you watch it in European release. Oui, Bataz. It's like you just scratched the chalkboard. That's yeah. how, the look on his Every face time. right there was awesome. Uh, yeah, Kevin well, I'm just uh, a guest, Conroy. but... <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was the voice of Batman again. Isn't that amazing? Yes, it is. I mean, he's uh, he's one of the voices of. Ba- well, apparently, he's at least two of the voices of Batman. Yeah, uh, Bruce Wayne, and uh, what's the other guy? Batman. Yeah, there it is. But man, <laughs> forgot how you say it. <laughs> and if I may, really cool to be to talk to him face to face. It's it's one thing to hear his voice and be associated with Batman, and that's. Like any time you hear that voice, you expect to see a, a, a cowl in ears. But it was cool to see that a, a, a human uh, with that voice coming out of it. It was really nice to meet him. Yeah, um, I've met I've met the people behind voices, you know, and most of the time they don't connect. Right. There's a there's just some detachment from it. This guy, if you put a cowl on him, he could be Batman. Yeah. He's he's a little skinnier than your normal Batman. But, right. Yeah. I mean, he's he's got the whole. The mouth part of it, but isn't that, isn't that almost <laughs> but all? The cowl doesn't cover up. Yeah, he's got, he's got that part. Other yeah. uh, voice actors probably might be known for more than one character. 
uh, maybe two or three characters, but he's pretty much just known for that. That might be the only one he does. Yeah, yeah from side and, gigs, you know. um, and yeah, he, and, and, he, and actually from the show also, there's a a, a young uh, upstart voice actor named Mark Hamill, who's pretty much oh, just known as now? the Joker. How's this again? Uh, Markhamel, Mark- I believe yeah. is how it said. <laughs> yeah. It was a big the star Bataz. Bataz. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't talked about Mark Hamill yet. Are you sure? Can we go back and listen to the rest of the show first? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you at home, join Wait, us. Dan, do me a favor. Cue up the clip of when Mark Hamill sat down and talked to us at the round table. Oh, that's why he didn't. Oh, I guess that clip doesn't exist. Uh, Mark Hamill can't go anywhere at Comic-Con without putting on a Stormtrooper mask because, I mean, he just gets bombarded. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we didn't expect to see him at this, but he's there in spirit. I mean, he... He he overshadows pretty much everything that he's been in. Yeah, he if, uh, for a show that helped redefine Batman, he redefined the Joker. But it also redefined him, you know, because this was yeah, on a professional level. Yeah, yeah. and uh, he actually credits this this show with giving him a sec, you know, a second career. You know, yeah. this this put him on the map again when you know um, when his ha- star was fading. Yeah, and uh, it's. You know, he's a fantastic actor. Um, the the problem with being that fantastic in a in a character that's so beloved as Luke Skywalker is that mm-hmm. it's hard for us to imagine you as anything else. And so what's the solution? Go behind the screen, you know, yeah. and become something else, you know. Yeah. And, yeah, he's the Joker, and he's, he's amazing at it. Yeah, it goes to show that the guy was – he's a good actor. Yes, saddled with Luke Skywalker from an early age, but undeniably a good actor. As a matter of fact, uh, you even had Andrea Romano told you all about how you want to look for an actor, not a voice actor. Well, this is how she puts it. And, um, and we delved into stuff that most cartoons had not even touched yet. And that was exciting to just go, nobody's done this yet. Certainly nobody had drawn backgrounds on black paper to make it be such a dark looking series. And so I knew that the animation was going to be different and novel and new. And I knew I had to find voices that were, I had to find actors first. And then if they had iconic voices, voices that you could remember, voices with character as opposed to, as opposed to people doing character voices, right? SpongeBob SquarePants is a character voice, but Kevin Conroy's Batman is a voice with character. It's just got a quality to it. And those are the kind of actors I like to bring in, was people whose voice, like John Vernon, you know, he has this deep, wonderful voice, and you recognize it. You know, it's like, that's okay, that's going to be that guy, or Bob Hastings as the commissioner. Now, not an actor that I could use doing multiple voices in the show, but what a great voice, or Bobby Costanzo as Bullock, you know, a Real, you know, he was that guy. He was that Italian tough guy. And um, and I loved working and finding these actors, these different wonderful people who wanted to come in and play. I didn't have to go to agents and say, got anybody who wants to come work on Batman? They were calling me and saying, I have ten clients who want to come in and play on Batman because they had seen the first 13 episodes and just said, it's quality, it's wonderful, they want to come play. Get actors, not voice actors. Uh, yeah, it seems pretty obvious when you say it, but it's uh, <laughs> kind of weird to hear it out loud. I, um, and that's kind of been her staple for over the years. She's made a, quite a career out of uh, picking the right voices. Yeah. yeah. Andrea Romano definitely knows her stuff, apparently. 
Yeah, she's she's still doing it. Uh, she started off with this, I think. <laughs> but uh, she actually started at Warner Brothers. One of her. She had a long career. She was, uh, if you want to hear it. Uh, yeah, and, well, um, <laughs> and she started off as an agent for voice actors, and then she saw how they were doing it, and then became uh, the casting director. And she's kind of retiring now, right? Uh, she, I believe, she is yeah. retired, but she started at. Uh, uh, Animaniacs, and that's mm-hmm. kind of where everybody comes yeah. out of. Yeah, Animaniacs. that's where a lo- I think that's a lot Tara, of these producers yeah, yeah. Tara Tara comes out of there. Yeah, Radomsky, uh, Ra- Eric. Random guy. Yeah, yeah. I apologize. I'm murdering. Apologies. She also casts all those DC movies, all those mm-hmm. DC animated movies, and uh, one of the best things of San Diego Comic Con is that Friday or Saturday night, you're in Ballroom 20, and they're going to do a panel and a premiere of a DC movie, mm-hmm. and if the and if if Batman's anywhere in it, it's Kevin Conroy. Now the only time that I can remember where it wasn't was with the Dark Knight uh, movie, and they brought in Peter Weller. Oh, okay. You know, because I guess they just they really wanted a, a distinct difference. You know, I'd love to ask her about that casting mm-hmm. one of these days. Uh, Peter I, Peter Weller did fantastic. Um, but, uh, you know, whenever it's, you know, I, no, he did. I thought it was good. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, whenever it's, uh, uh, but when it's a special occasion, when it's the Joker, they bring in Mark Hamill. And uh, I'm sure you guys know he's been in all the, DC animated movies. He was the voice of the Joker in the very, very popular Arkham Asylum game. Only the video games, uh-huh, yeah. which yeah, we so, all love. Yeah, that's an extension yeah. of the Betas. <laughs> kind of, I guess. So. Yeah. Is that better, Jimmy? Yeah. That, I guess yeah. that, uh, that is part of the legacy. Um, and he actually was supposed to. He um, Hamill had said that he wasn't going to do the Joker voice anymore, um, and he had retired it after the third or the fourth uh, Arkham Asylum game. And he, I love his Joker on that. It's so menacing. It's so scary. The game is so good. It's this perfect um, venue for the Batman franchise. You know, it's a perfect video game, you know, because as you go through it, you gain more weapons, you gain more skills. It's just perfect. You fight all these villains. It's a perfect game. And he was the main villain in it. Um, and then he said he was done. And, and, he, and he just said he was done. He goes, unless DC Animated does The Killing Joke. Oh, they did do that. And they did do it. And, um, you know, they premiered it at Comic-Con two years ago, maybe three. Mm-hmm. And, hell, it was scary. I mean, it was the first R-rated uh, DC animated cartoon, you know, cartoon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was R-rated because it was, it's just so graphic. There's actually a rape scene. Um, you know, Joker gets pretty nasty in this. And it, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's really something that, you know... Um, Hamill cares about that character, you know. Mm-hmm. He famously he cares about Luke Skywalker, right? He had some objections to how that story went at the beginning. Yeah. Um, he, which Bruce, even Mark Hamill can be wrong from time to time. <laughs> yeah, well, he also came around to like seeing the bigger picture, but uh, you know, but uh, you know, he was he he felt so so serious about that character, and he, and he loved it so much that he was just like, I'm not going to do it unless it's this way. And hell, they they did it. Yeah, um, and I bet the rest of the team was pretty happy with that. Like, yeah, this it was a fantastic movie. It's it's scary and it's it's good and it's you know it's it's rated R for a reason. It's mm. really that good. And talk about the themes of Saturday morning that grew up with us. I mean, still it, growing. There's an R-rated cartoon, yeah. and not just it started. You know, like a the afternoon cartoon goes to these. Uh, we'll say PG-13 yeah. DVD-type animated movies, yeah. 
video game jump, yep. you know, R-rated. Yeah. And this is all from the same team. I was about uh, to say. As a matter of fact, uh, producer-writer Paul Dini, mm-hmm. also from over on Animaniacs with Andrea Romano, if 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 my notes are correct. But uh, someone asked him what it was like to, to write these same characters for all these different mediums. This is, this is what he had to say. you can't you can't um, you know write as much dialogue as you could for comic books and that's sometimes sometimes I find I have a problem with that when I'm doing a comic book is that I'll write in a very minimalist style as if I'm writing the animated series again and then I'll go like am I giving the reader enough because it's a different experience each experience I've had comics and then video games like with Arkham Asylum and Arkham City have been learning processes because the rules are different when I started writing the video games, I was writing way too much, and uh, I was writing a lot in the cutscenes, and the story uh, director would say, you got to pace it out or know when to cut it out. So the first one was a learning experience, I think I got it better for the second one, and, and with comics it's the same way. It's like you have a lot of real estate to fill up, you can go on a bit, you can have a little bit more texture, because ultimately you're playing director as well as a, as a, as a writer, whereas um, in animation you're part of a team. And the storyboard artist has his day, and the director, and, and the voiceover artist, too. So you're not carrying the ball alone. Do you find your scripting is different for each day when you're, like, writing it down Sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, when I write a script, I'll go through it before recording, and I'll try and cut out as much dialogue as I can. You know, I don't want to rob the, art, the voice actors of saying, you know, jokes or fun dialogue. But at the same time, I don't want to have find I'm repeating myself or that they're drawing, you know, animating stuff that just doesn't be... That doesn't have to be recorded because it's just eating up time, and that's the story that the pictures can tell. So you know, different different strokes for different folks for different mediums. <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah, that's <laughs> a mighty it's large it list. But it is, yeah. it's interesting to to know, like if he he's got the same characters, the same stories to tell, but the medium means mm-hmm. he has to write them all very differently from comics to TV shows, to movies, to video games. Uh, it's probably a good problem to have. Yeah. Uh, and, if you know, even just looking at something as basic as a video game, right? Mm. I mean, it's just, it's just, this is a guy coming in and out of sewers, jumping on turtles. No, it's not like that anymore. <laughs> you know, like there's actual, there's, there's, there's a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of drama. Yep. You know, there's, there's a reason why Batman is repelling from this building to the other building. You yeah. know, it's, it, it's, it, and, the uh, Arkham game uh, and the arc of the Arkham game, like they, the way that they kind of had them all fold, you know, all the sequels, they all just kind of moved into each other, you know, and it was it was perfect. Um, what a the arc of the Arkham is not unlike Bataz. <laughs> it's it is. You're right. It's not. You know, um, I, I painful was, wasn't it, Jimmy? Painful. No, I don't. I, I cannot <laughs> condone that. <laughs> he doesn't like the Bataz or what? The, what exactly is <laughs> the problem? No, the arc of the Arkham. I wasn't. <laughs> About that, but. <laughs> um, well, an, another, uh, uh, you know, one of the other premier characters of the Arkham game, uh, and just a premier character in life in general. Oh, Harley yeah, in Quinn. pop culture. I think I know where you're yeah, going. This uh, deserves mentioning before we're done. Yeah, this, I mean, Harley Quinn, you know, yep. played by yeah. one of the... Cultural you know, phenomenon. Cultural phenomenon, who's who's about to be the lead in her own movie again. You know, she's, you know, they're going to yeah. make a sequel the, to... The, uh, the, Birds of Birds of Prey. 
Night Birds of Prey, and it's it, there's actually a long title to that now. It's like yeah. the Miss Seduction of Harley Quinn or something, right? 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 Something, something to do with Harley Quinn. Yeah, and um, so so yeah, this is just, she was dreamed up by Betas. That was uh, yes. what, Bruce Tim, right? I'm correct. Bruce Tim and Paul Dini created her uh, for the show. And uh, eventually made her way into the comic books, and eventually, and now this is twenty-seven years of eventually an evolution, and yeah. now she's got her own movie. Uh, uh, fans of cosplay will thank him for this for yeah. years, you know, because I mean, there's um, when that fanboys locked in their showers. Well, yeah, I mean, this is, <laughs> and it's it's it's, weird, it's really weird amazing. place to be thanking Paul Dini, but <laughs> well, but you know, um, this uh, when the cosplay does not equal consent, by the way, not at all. Just just public just, service message, hands off. Um, ask and before you take pictures. Everybody knows this. Yeah. Uh, but when the Suicide Squad came out, I remember the Comic Con that year. There was uh, it was probably a Harley Quinn for every five attendees. Yeah, I would there were every easily, um, and I I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before. I've never seen a character so um, uh, uh, so replicated, personified. What's the word I'm going for here? Honored, embraced, um, embraced, or just copied or, or, or lifted on your shoulder, accepted like, by yeah, the like uh, it was just uh, nerd you masses. Saw, you saw Harley Quinn everywhere, right. and um, it all started from this show. Um, I I said that this is its lasting legacy. Yeah, that's what you came at me <laughs> earlier, and I said, oh, you know who would disagree with you. Paul Dini, one of the co-creators of the character herself, he believes the show itself is well. This is, this is what this is how he put it. I think the best legacy of the show is the show itself and the fact that it keeps it keeps coming back. You know, it, now it's at a point where it is almost like a like a classic, like a it, like a Disney classic movie or the Looney Tunes or, or or something like that. And I think Harley is a wonderful bonus part of it. But um, again, like the Looney Tunes, it's like. <clears throat> You know, what, what's the biggest contribution? Daffy Duck, Porky Pig, Bugs Bunny? I, you know, I can't really say, but just the fact that it's all, it's all there is great. And certainly it's, it's grateful to hear somebody like, uh, uh, Jim Lee saying, well, the, the big trio of the DC universe is now, you know, a foursome because we've added Harley with Wonder Woman, Batman, and, and, uh, and Superman. Would you like to see um, a more accurate year creation portrayal of Harley Quinn um, on the live stream or in an upcoming uh, certainly, as long as it, as long as it. For, first off, I think the to, the tone of whatever the movie is has got to work, and then Harley can work within that tone. And if it's a it's a it's a funny movie, I if it's an over the top action comedy, if they did something like Deadpool, for example, and she was the chaotic element of that, I think she could work very well in something like that. If you have a very dark Batman movie. Do what we would do in the animated series. We put her in there very specifically to put a laugh or, or make a, a lighter moment so that it wouldn't be so gruesome and grim. You have to make sure that your world holds together, and then you put an element like her in there, I, I feel. So, uh, you know, maybe it's her versatility that has made <laughs> Harley Quinn such a, such a winning I think she's character. Just, I don't know. I, I think she's just so fun, you know, um, She's so playful. Um, it, it, she just fits into a lot of situations, you know. In that, uh, in you know, she is intelligent. She's a she's a doctor, mm-hmm. you know, um, and so she's able to problem solve and just she's this agent of chaos, 
Yeah. Know, she's she gets she's just a perfect villain, huh. you know. Um, and it, you know she she looks great. Yeah, <laughs> in pretty much any format. Well, I think they've tried to jumpstart plenty of characters over there. Jimmy, you yeah, as a Batman believer since before Harley Quinn existed, what, do you think she she's a natural extension of the Batman family? Do you think she was tacked on? Do you think yes. what, what do you think? Yes. Yes to everything. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, she's a great addition. It's it's really hard. I'd say it's very challenging to come up with a fresh, a new character that can fit into uh, the the DC universe, specifically the Batman universe, because uh, he's already got a pretty uh, healthy stable of villains that are all pretty uh, ide- easily identifiable mm-hmm. and pretty wacky on their own. And, uh, you know, she was originally conceived as a sort of a sidekick for the Joker, but it's uh, obviously evolved into much more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, and, and also, you know, maybe because it happened in my in the span of my lifetime, you know, I, as well as yours, mm-hmm. um, whereas Batman has been around before any of us were born. And it's so and other characters have come along in my lifetime, but not gotten as much traction and stuck around like uh, Animal Man for existence has kind of come coming gone. Yeah. Yeah, uh, would I think, you prefer to see Animal Man still around? I think that um, my most uh, honest answer. I think that you can write almost any character uh, interestingly, and yeah. I, like Spider-Man: Homecoming is a great example of that of telling a great story with a superhero in it, as opposed to having a superhero story that's a great story. You know. All yeah. right. It sounds like you weren't a fan of Animal Man. Uh, no, I, I <laughs> will. Uh, uh, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, the Morrison run was pretty good. I, I, you know, there's some good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, then, right. when, when right. you when you're on a but back uh, to Harley Quinn. Well, yes. when you're on a a animated series, when you have all these episodes, you can highlight a different you know character, a different mm-hmm. you know a different yeah. villain, and things like that. And mm-hmm. that's what makes the Batman franchise so appealing to this kind of stuff. You know, mm-hmm. is that, and again, it's the same reason why it makes a great video game because you can have all these different bosses, all these different foes. And you're just kind of just chomping right through them until you get to the Joker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And well, um, now she's had over 20 years, you know, to uh, come into her own. What, gentlemen? What is your favorite iteration? Because she is not the same Harley Quinn, you know, in this upcoming Birds of Prey that she was in B Taz. <laughs> well, um, I like the kind of Jersey accented, you know, which. Um, Margot Robbie tried to kind of mimic a little mm-hmm. bit in the in the in the Suicide Squad movie. Um, a couple of problems with that is that she's Australian, so she doesn't really quite. I don't think she really got it that well. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but she looks fantastic. She's it's like the best casting I've ever seen practically ever <laughs> for a character mm-hmm. as far as how she looks and how she you know wears it. Um, she just didn't nail the voice I right out of so. Andrea Romano's playbook. Yeah, she. I, I don't. But you know, she did make it her own. I think it's great. I just. I prefer the kind of Jersey kind of take that Tara Strong has. Or mm-hmm. um, uh, who's the original voice? I don't think that was her. I don't remember. Uh, Eartha uh, Kitt. Escapes me. Memory yeah, serves. <laughs> it's one of the. No, that's a Catwoman. Yeah. Um, but uh, what was the question? Uh, <laughs> Which is your favorite? Harley? Oh yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I think it's um, it's definitely you know the Bataz version of it. Um, but but uh, I will say this: uh, I'm looking forward to what they can fix in the next movie. I mm. think because the first half of Suicide Squad was a pretty good movie, oh. and then it just turns to holy hell. I mean, it's just awful. It's you know I've never wanted really to walk out of a movie before. 
So, so you're actually hopeful Harley's best days are still ahead. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. I, you know, I thought, you know, foolishly apparently, according to Paul here, mm. um, that this was the lasting legacy of it. You know, like I wasn't, not that the show, you know, doesn't mean more than that. You know, I don't want to condense it into just Harley Quinn. That's what it sounded like to him. I know, but I didn't. I didn't mean that. It's just that this is its major contribution to the Batman franchise going forward. Mm. It's that. This character did not exist, and now you can't picture Batman without Harley Quinn. So much so that we even put aside the horrible pun that her name is. Yeah. I, I mean, don't think it's a horrible pun. I think it's, is it, I think it's cute. Is it, any, cute. is it better than Ed Nigma? <laughs> yeah. Any character named Nigma is really <laughs> on the edge. You know, it's anyway. been retconned that he came up with that name himself. Uh, uh, I guess he right. thought it was clever. Oh, okay. Thank well, God. There you go. Thank God. Yeah, that's true. Okay. <laughs> right, never mind then. I retract <laughs> my statement. Uh, and you? <laughs> uh, well, my favorite version of Harley Quinn is definitely the B-Taz uh, version. The OG, uh, Arlene Sorkin did the original voice, and Tara Strong took it over uh, later on. But... Uh, with the clown makeup and the the jester bells and the kind of I like uh, that too yeah yeah uh, that that and just the Joker's uh, gal mall if you will mm-hmm. um, although and then not to say that there's anything wrong with any other version uh, that's just not my my wheelhouse you know where she's uh, uh, in Suicide Squad, yeah, it's again, it's awesome to see uh, grown adults dressed as my my favorite yeah. characters, you know. Uh, and uh, she pulled out that costume; she didn't put it on. But there was one scene where she pulled—I think she pulls it out of her uh, bag of tricks for a second. Well, uh, which costume? The the one yeah, from like the, the, was the, the black and white. Checkered, no, she actually uh, wears it like in a oh, flashback. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, there is a flashback yeah. where she, her and the joke. Right. Yeah, she does have it yeah. on. It uh, kind of looks like a Alex Ross. Right, right, um, right. Version of it. And it doesn't really translate well to live action. I mean, it's cool to see it, but I couldn't imagine a whole movie of her running around in that outfit. It just yeah. wouldn't. I mean, it's you just, couldn't. It's not very how could you take her seriously yeah. doing anything, really? Well, it, I think that in the show there was supposed to be that sort of goof. Well, according to Alan Burnett, anyway, this is why he thinks the B-Taz version is the best Harley Quinn. belongs to the old Harley Quinn. I, I, I like that, uh, you know, that uh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn voice and, and uh, just her, her nuttiness. And, uh, and I hope that that always stays. I mean, as new versions come, they keep coming back to that first. Uh, uh, but that's the one I, that's the one I like, the, goof, the goofy one who you don't realize how smart she is until she gets in it with so uh, there's a Harley Quinn for everybody. <laughs> good way. To, that's a good way to put it. I think so too. And the character will continue to grow and take many forms. And you know, let's let's let's. This right. is not the last we've seen of Harley Quinn. No, yeah, I think yeah. she's. And again, that's why I get again, Paul. With all due respect, I think she is the legacy of the show. I mean, it's it's the thing that's gonna. There was before Harley. After Harley, oh. as far as Batman is concerned, well, there's a there's a free country, and you're allowed to be wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a tough line to draw. But God uh, bless it. That's where you want to plant your flag. Okay. Let's, All right. Well, we got to start winding this down. Uh, did you want to take a look at the actual Blu-ray? Yeah, I actually just kind of want to. I want to. I want to briefly, uh, verbally unbox it for everybody here. Um, as I take everything out, 
what this is the special edition of it. It comes Great with these stuff three. It comes with these three the micro uh, Funko figures of Batman, Harley, of course, and the Joker. We've covered all of these guys already. Mm-hmm. Um, they're adorable. They're cute. I can't wait to put them on my. How big uh, would you say those are? These are probably about the size of a 50 cent piece for the listeners at home. These are a tiny versions of Funko pop figures. And, yes. And they are adorable. The sort of thing will cost you 25 cents in a vending machine outside of Kmart. If you're lucky, if you they would, weren't yeah. Funkos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Well, it might cost you a little more to get the ones you want. Um, I mean, you might have to go through, yeah. <laughs> might have to get a couple Riddlers. You're going to have a uh, nine Riddlers handful of uh, man bats. Uh, <laughs> Another it, Bruce Wayne. <laughs> it also comes with a, uh, Collection of lenticulars, I believe is the word for it. Um, there's probably about four by six uh, framed uh, lenticulars. Um, so those things where you could you, you kind of turn you, it, you and turn it. They're sort of a motion, a motion picture. Would you say? Yeah, it, it, it kind of moves. It's, it's a moves animated still. Oh, is that is that a good way to put it? No, it's contradictory. But you know what? It's as good as it's a lenticular. It's a Again, lenticular. For the so those home. things are great. Um, yeah. It also has this great box. Um, talking about the velvet thing that we talked about earlier, when we were at Comic-Con, they had these, they had these posters like along the um, press wall, and I really wanted to steal one so bad because mm-hmm. I just loved it. It's on this box, so I, I now own a version of that poster, but it's kind of got like the kind of the black, uh, uh, Batman's all in black with some of like, these red, bright red, metallic-y kind of highlights. Yeah. It's really gorgeous. And there's what looks like a book inside of it. It's like this black book. But no, it's not a book. Well, it, it is a book, but it's a book. There are with, a couple of words. Yes, there are some pages. And, it, you know, uh, Alan Burnett has this little intro, which we talked to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just goes through. There's uh, um, There's disc one all the way to... Uh, the oh, hold on a second, hold on a second. To uh, that's not going to work. Um, it goes from season one to season three. So many, discs. and then there's a special features bonus disc. And this is what I found funny is that Paul, who hates the Harley Quinn legacy, uh, oh. he actually discusses how he incorporated one of his favorite characters into the series. I'm I'm obviously being playful. Uh, he he does love and respect his. His his own creation, as we all he know, do. He knows where the bread's um, buttered. The, yeah. the special features uh, include the heart of Batman, um, and again, and this is what I love the most about this. Um, it also includes the two movies. One of them was a direct to DVD Sub Zero that was released the most recently, and the other one is that for the listeners at home, Mark is furiously flipping through the pages, describing uh, yeah. each yes. each envelope holding not a not not disc. quite. I've I've skipped all the yeah. series. Image wise, um, it's a lot like he's reading a uh, children's book to Jimmy and yes. I. Yes, <laughs> exactly what I'm. If you can picture that, tell me more, Mark. Tell me How more about teachers, the Batman. They used to do that thing with the pinky and the thumb to keep mm-hmm. it open. Remember that? That's what I'm doing. Um, but no, uh, Mask of the Phantasm every... So again, uh, talk about legacy. This was an animated feature-length film that they released in the theater. And how do I know that? Because I went... Like 19, of course you did. 95, 92. I went to see this in the theater. Um, and I remember going. There wasn't very many people in there. But this was, you know, this was a chance to see another Batman movie. Like at the height of the Tim Burton, you know, phenomenon... Mm-hmm. Um, we got to see another Batman movie. Uh, Mask of the Phantasm is fantastic. I haven't seen it since, but as soon as we get done recording this, I'm going to go and watch this movie again. So <laughs> they included – this is basically – I guess what I'm trying to get at is this is a beautiful collection, and this is the anthology 
of Batman the Animated Series. It's all here, and it's this beautiful packaging. Uh, talk about collectible, and it also comes with a digital download, so you guys can watch them. Uh, Planes, trains, automobiles, mm-hmm. and uh, and we're giving this away, huh? We are not. That's awesome. So uh, <laughs> just just tweet at State Classy SDCC your biggest threat for Marquee. I I cannot give this away because I had to buy this. Um, but uh, I encourage all of you guys to try to get one or check eBay later, and maybe I'll sell it. <laughs> oh okay. Yeah, uh, I think they're sold out. At least the limited edition ones. Yeah, at yeah. the very, very least, get yourself this collection. <clears throat> the um, I've just seen a couple of shows recently. Um, there's the term; it still holds up is ridiculous because this is a show that exists outside of time and space. It, it, of course, it holds up. It's like the Flintstones holds up. <laughs> story wise, story wise, it holds up. Yeah, and, uh, it's but, fantastic. Uh, in our conversations, Eric uh, mentioned that he wishes that he had the tools he had now that he could yeah. make the movie back then. Uh, he, mm. he complains a lot about how things were a little sloppy back then and just rushed to production, but he still. Yeah, but it's, well, that's in our conversation with Eric. That is that is a it, you can you can hear more. Uh, in fact, you can. Not just hear all these conversations. You can see them. Uh, our man, Jimmy Lozinski, framed each one of these guests. And we're uh, going to have them on YouTube here shortly. Find them on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, are they over at uh, Bleeding Cool? They still? are. You, you can check it out uh, and, um, and all of my work at Bleeding Cool. Uh, but, they're, yeah, they're, I posted a, a short write-up article on each one, and uh, those videos exist there. And uh, we'll post them on YouTube, and we'll post them on the Saturday Morning Serial Bowl you. YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Sounds yeah. good. See, this is this is wonderful. This is wonderful. Listen, the only question is why aren't they making more episodes of this uh, wonderful thing? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. But actually, when uh, we put it to Lauren Lester, he had a very good reason. Tell us why, Lauren. Meanwhile, the one question I'm asked every single time. I do a lot of the Comic Con all over all over the country. Question I'm asked continually is why aren't you guys doing new episodes? And I don't know the answer to that because they have Kevin, they have Mark, they have me, they have Tara, they have a lot of the villains still, and we all have the same voices as you can hear. So um, I don't know why they don't, and I would love that if they did, we would be there in a second. I know Kevin and I have talked about it, and we'd be there in a second. Last year when we did Batman and Harley Quinn, it was such a great reunion, and it was like we had not been away from this these roles for as many years as we have. So we would just fall right back into it. We love it. Uh, no reason at all, apparently. <laughs> I don't know why they're not doing more. It's not like they're, and I actually, I think I said that to, uh, um, I want to say Tim Burton. Uh, <laughs> no, it was did I Spielberg. did I talk to Tim Burton? Uh, no, uh, I uh, when I was talking to Kevin Conroy, mm. you know, and uh, I forgot where I was going with this. Now I'm totally thrown off. Sorry. <laughs> oh well, there's a world where we might see more episodes with uh, you know the DC Access Universe, DC Universe, uh, desperately in need of content to support. You know, uh, so they they've they're making uh, Young Justice. The Outsiders Young Justice version. So there's a lot of animation coming out that's going to fill up some time. So there's, it's possible that they could revisit that. That's one. on the new paid prescription um, format. Correct. Yeah. 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 yeah DC yeah. Universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which everyone's uh, jumping no on that one. So that's all right. I guess we won't be mad at them, but I don't know if 
Uh, well, definitely if I buy this box set, I'm not paying for DC Extended Universe Well, whatever. The, the, all the episodes are on – everything on there is on the DC Universe on the box set. How Not the special, uh, um, special features, but all the episodes in those movies. But um, this, I don't know if it's in the 4K Blu-ray presentation. This is the best presentation right but, now. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. It, it does look a lot better, even just me uh, watching it on my iPad using the mm-hmm. download, and then you go on your TV and mm-hmm. watch it on Blu-ray. It's, it looks just a lot better. Plus, you know, you get the, the speakers all going. Right, and right. Things are going. It's, it's awesome. So, Woo. Um, yeah, let's do that. I got the lights off. I'm wearing my cowl. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine you doing this. It's really, it's kind yeah. of adorable. You don't have to imagine it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Batman. Yeah, it happens. All right. Well, uh, I guess uh, I, I know you two gentlemen want to run off and go watch uh, Mask of the Phantasm. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hold you up, but I want to thank you all for uh, joining us. Uh, I want to thank the two of you for joining me. And I want to thank the millions of you out there listening for tuning in again, and we humbly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. Come back and see us again next time. Yeah. Uh, check it. Check us out, mattypradio.com. Remember, we're Saturday Morning Serial. Uh, uh, my Twitter feed is uh, at Stay Classy SDCC. Don't forget where uh, – and you can find Jimmy where? Uh, you can find me uh, across most of the social media at uh, SDBatman66 or at RetroCoolNerd. Retro cool nerd. And you Check can find uh, you can find Shay in jail. Where, where are you going to be? No, I'm not going to say. But if you do spot me, <laughs> you owe me a beer. <laughs> All right. Good deal. I'd say that's about enough of this. Thanks. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. Ah, oh, this is enough of this.